Hi, and welcome to Deep Leadership. I'm your host, John Rennie. I hope you're doing well. I have a great episode to share with you today, but before we get started, I just want to thank you for tuning in each week. The purpose of this podcast is to help people, including myself, become better leaders. I work hard to bring you interesting guests, and I hope each one helps you along your leadership journey. I know I'm learning a lot through these interviews myself. You know, it's been said that great leaders are always learning. So if you're tuning in each week, I can tell that you're a great leader. And if this podcast has helped you in any way, pay it forward. Share it with other leaders or future leaders in your life. I think the world could use a lot more great leaders. Before we dive into this episode, I want to share some exciting news with you. My latest leadership book, All in the Same Boat, has made it to the bestsellers list on Amazon two weeks ago. I definitely didn't expect this to happen so soon. So thank you to those who ordered the book and helped make this happen. You know, the feedback I'm seeing in the reviews is exciting. The stories in this book seem to be resonating with leaders from all sorts of different industries. So if you purchased the book, please leave an Amazon review. That's the way that we can help future buyers, you know, understand the book, know what it's about. So please leave that review. You know, I've said this before, and I'm an independent author by choice. I don't have a large marketing team working behind the scenes to help promote this book. So your support really helps me get the word out. And if you haven't purchased your copy yet, what are you waiting for? Pause this podcast and go to allinthesameboatbook.com to purchase a signed copy. You can also go to Amazon and purchase either a paperback or the Kindle version. The Audible version will be available in a few months, and we're working on that right now. So thank you again for everyone who supported this book launch. I'm extremely proud of how this book came out, and I know you will enjoy it. I guarantee it will be the most interesting leadership book you read this year. Now, if you're looking to support what I do on the show, purchase one of my books or visit my sponsors, BottomGunCoffee.com and EyeOfTheWatch.com. Both use the discount code DEEP at checkout. Well, that's it. Today, my guest is Dave McCune. Dave is a best-selling author and the founder of Outfield Leadership. He helps leaders and organizations step outside the busyness of day-to-day operations to focus on accomplishing big things. Leading is difficult, and we often find ourselves working on what's urgent and not what's important. There's a difference, and Dave helps us stick our heads out of the chaos to focus on our true goals. This is a powerful and timely episode that I know you're going to enjoy. So, are you ready to dive in? Let's get started. Welcome to Deep Leadership. Leadership is a people business. That's the philosophy of your podcast host, John Rennie. As a former Cold War submarine officer who spent 20 plus years leading businesses in corporate America before starting his own manufacturing business, he knows that leadership matters. Leadership matters. Are you ready for some real world actionable advice from John as well as his expert guests? I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready. The show starts right now. Welcome to the Deep Leadership Podcast. Today, I'm joined by Dave McComb. Dave is the founder of Outfield Leadership, a company that helps teams step back from the chaos and build a process to set and achieve their strategic goals. He is the author of the Amazon best-selling book called The Self-Evolved Leader, which guides leaders on how to rise above the day-to-day busyness, elevate their focus, and get more done. In these busy times that we live in, this is an important topic, and I'm looking forward to this discussion. So, Dave, welcome to the show. John, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be with you. 
Yeah, it's great to have you on the show. And I'm really interested in this topic. And I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it. So before we get into your book and what you talk about in your book, tell us about Outfield Leadership. What is it that you do and what kind of companies do you work with? Sure, happy to. Um, so I work primarily with uh, senior leadership teams of fast-growing organizations to help them set and achieve their strategic growth goals. And, and that means a couple of things. One, just actually building um, a strategic plan and a rhythm and a cadence to implement that. And then alongside that, doing some team and individual coaching and training to help the leaders in the organization develop the skill sets and the behaviors that they need to, to deliver on that plan. Um, I, I work pretty much across all industries. I'm, I'm, I'm fairly industry agnostic. Um, my focus isn't so much on deep business and industry knowledge as it is knowing um, how businesses run and, and how specifically teams of people can lead organizations to, to true scalable growth. Um, I work quite a lot with still family-owned uh, founder-operated businesses, but not always the case. Uh, and they range in, in size from $10 million revenue all the way up to $14 billion in, in mm. revenue, uh, wherever there is a, a need for growth and development uh, around strategic planning and implementation, I can help. Sounds good. And what what would you say makes Outfield so unique? Um, I, I think what we bring is um, a real intentional approach to strategic planning and leadership development. Um, we base everything in the world of the practical rather than spending a lot of time on theoretical models and frameworks. Yes, there there are you know some tools and frameworks that will will bring and and share, but be rooted in the day to day business running. Uh, and so the work that I do, it complements very nicely just the natural rhythm that a senior leadership team would have anyway in their interactions without needing to layer on too much additional effort over the top of it. So very practical in that way. I think the second thing that that I bring um, is just a, a, an ability to really understand the dynamics in a room full of people that ultimately have conflicting priorities. You know, no matter how well aligned a team is around their end goal, you've still got a bunch of individuals with their own egos, their own desires, their own yeah. needs. And, and just being able to bring a group together to work on those shared goals whilst respecting and honoring all of the individuals, I think we do a pretty good job of that. Do you find it's uh, it's important in these kind of sessions to have an outsider or have some a third party to, you know, help mediate and you know steer the the group? I mean, is do they do these companies find that helpful? I, I mean, obviously, my response is going to be biased because it's what I do. So, you know, of course, it's, I, I think that it's helpful. But the the reason why I think it's helpful is even the most skilled leader. So a lot of the work that, that I do, as you mentioned, is facilitation. So how, how do you bring a framework to help a team come together, grapple with discussions, grapple with debate, look at data to underpin their the, the decisions that they need to make, and then make a decision to align on it and go and implement. Number one, just bringing that framework, a lot of leadership teams don't have that. But even for those organizations that do, that maybe are using some of the models for, for, for teamwork and, and strategic planning out there, even the best leader, let's say it's the CEO that's doing it, 
if you're working through that process and you're trying to facilitate it, you're not fully contributing to the to the process because mm-hmm. you're you're trying to ensure that the group gets to a good place together. And and, and the second thing is whoever is facilitating this a session like that has so much power and control over the end result mm. because they're the one that are guiding and, and, and moving the group along that if you have somebody from the inside managing that process, no matter how um, neutral they may seem in their appearance, they're still driving towards something that's aligned to an internal bias or, or direction right. that they want to go in. Whereas if you get a good facilitator who literally has no dog in the hunt, like, you know, my goal when I show up is not to get to an end, a specific end point. It's to ensure that the group gets to an end point. And so right. it, it could be, right. it could be over here. It could be down there. It could be behind us. It could be, and, and it doesn't matter where that is. So long as the group is getting to, to, to that point where they've, they've had the debate and the discussion that they need, they've aligned around the decisions that they're making. And they're very clear on what their next actions are on, on implementing. That's where I think the value of a very good facilitator comes in. It allows all of the people contribute equally and, and no one person in the room gets to steer the discussion in, in the way that ultimately suits their interests. I like that. I like that. Well, as you know, when you, when you have a leader in a room, there's influence, right? So, you know, what does the boss want? You know, there, right. there are many people in the room are just going to say, well, look to the CEO, what's his idea? And that's the idea we're going to go with. And I think you need to get those ideas from everyone in the room, not just the one, uh, one leader. So yeah, I can see where that can be a lot of very valuable, especially in companies where everybody's got different ideas and they're bringing them to the table and you want to get to those best ideas and get those implemented. Yeah, absolutely. And it's it particularly pivotal. You know, there's, there's a stage in company growth where, you know, it's not, it's not necessarily bad if the CEO is the one that's making all of the decisions, particularly whenever you're smaller and you're growing and, and there's, there's a very entrepreneurial vision associated with the, with the, the CEO that's fine up until a point, but then it starts to become a liability because no matter how smart or connected any person is with an organization at, at some point of complexity, they're only going to have a small part of the picture of everything that's going right. on and just that need to open up and get more eyes. And this this happens not just at a senior level, but at, at every level of an organization. As complexity grows, no one person can have their handle on everything. Um, but for a lot of teams, the problem is, you know, the dynamic they mentioned is somebody asks a question, everybody just looks to whoever the de facto boss is in the room. Right. What do you think? Because we're just going to do right. what you say anyway. <laughs> but at some point that becomes a, a liability because yeah. what you're doing then is the leader becomes the bottleneck and also your people are developing over time this um, sense of learned helplessness, which is why would I bother thinking for myself or trying to solve this problem? Because my boss is going to do it anyway. And that happens in a team setting and a one-on-one setting. Yeah. And so one of the big behavioral shifts that I work with leaders on is, is moving away from that so that you're not the bottleneck and you're actually growing, developing, empowering your team to make their own decisions and solve their own problems. No, I love that. I love that. So let's talk about the book, um, The Self-Evolved Leader. Elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that refuses to slow down. So let's start with the basics here. What is, in your definition, the self-evolved leader? What does that mean? Um, well, there's, there's two aspects of it. One is, where are we trying to get to? Uh, and then the second aspect is, is, is how, how do we get there? If we take the where are we trying to get to, we actually just alluded to it a little bit there, which is 
um, I believe in our ever-changing, fast-moving world, those leaders who are most effective are the ones that don't have all the answers, that don't mm. know everything that we're doing, that 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 look to their team to help push and grow us in the in the direction that we need to go in. Um, I talk about a, a self-evolved leader's mantra, which is my my focus is on helping my team achieve our common goals, and in doing so to become the best version of themselves. And there's two parts to that. There's achieving our, our common goals, and then there's the growth and the development uh, underneath that. It's not enough just to hit your monthly sales quota as a team if, if people are burnt out or they're stressed out, or if you as the you know VP of sales or the, you know, the sales leader steps in and has to help all of the deals over the line because people aren't growing and they aren't developing. Mm. It's, not a, it's not enough for us to, to have our biggest year in, in revenue growth if your team's you know, really, you've got terrible retention or you've got low morale or there's bad trust. We're, we're, we're losing a, a key part of leadership. So for me, the best leaders, the most effective leaders combine both of those team results and development of their people. So that's the where we're going to of a self-evolved leader. The how then uh, is the self-evolved part. So those leaders that view the development, the mastery of the craft of leadership as a noble pursuit in and of itself. Those are yes. true. true that's, as well, that's a characteristic of a true self-evolved leader. Um, it's it's not just, hey, I want to go up because that's, you know, in my career, because that's what they tell me I need to do. It's it's the understanding that that leaders that 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 with leadership comes the responsibility to grow and, and develop yourself. And and so the book is focused around helping leaders that are in that position that you know, or just saying, it doesn't matter what the organization offers me, I'm going to grow and develop anyway, because there's value in that. I love that. That's really, really good to hear. That's something that, honestly, I spent 22 years in corporate America, and I didn't see a lot of that in the management team teams. You know, generally, it was, what do I need to know to get to the next level? What do I need to do to get the next promotion? What do I need yeah. to do to get to my bonus check, right? Yeah. And so I like what you talked about there, where whereas, you know, being a leader is not just the mission, it's the mission and the people, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's achieving the, the objectives that you have, but also making sure that your employees are growing and developing. But then you step back and you say, you as a leader have to be growing and developing as well, too. What are you doing to continue to push uh, yourself to be able to grow? And, and, uh, and I love that. So that's, so that's a great definition of a self-evolved leader. So I, I, I like that quite a bit. Yeah. Um, but what's, what's the problem with, uh, the current or most business leadership uh, models that exist today, what, what happens? That sounds good. And, and that's in theory, right. But what ends up happening in most companies on a day-to-day basis? I think you're starting to unpick it a little bit there, which is um, people get promoted into positions of leadership because they're good at functionally doing their jobs. So a good salesperson becomes a sales manager and so on and so forth. And being a leader and being functionally good at your job are almost completely different jobs. Yes. And, and so the first issue is we're promoting people that are good at their job, but, but don't necessarily haven't necessarily shown all of the signs of, of being a good leader. We just assume that they'll get there and, and, and that, um, you know, they'll sink or swim and they'll, they'll make it happen for themselves. Um, I think we've got to do a better 
and the you know the reason we do it is obvious. We it, things are moving so fast, and we've got positions to fill, and we need people to be in leadership roles. So we're like, well, just grab him because he knows how to do the job. And and sometimes I think we just got to slow down and say, well, okay, if we are going to move somebody in a position of leadership, what does that really look like for them and for the role? And and what are the true areas of development that they need to work on? Um, so that's that's problem number one. The second aspect is I feel like we're caught between two stools. You think about all of the, you know, the past models of of leadership from, you know, let's say the 1960s onwards. Um, they've been founded on a couple of principles. One that that leaders should be certain that they should be the ones out in front, that they should be the ones that know where we're going and that they're bringing a team along with them. There's sort of like the sense of, you know, swashbuckling hero at at the front um, leading the charge. And and I think that's starting to crumble and starting to break just in our culture in general, because we realize that that the world is is too complex that no one person can lead Mm -hmm. with such a degree of certainty. Right. Um, And, and it's, you know, so we've got in one, one hand, a bunch of leaders that are turning up and trying to portray this notion of complete certainty around where we're going and everybody that's, that's working for them. Just, it just comes across as disingenuous because we know that that can't be the the case. I think that uh, we're moving particularly culturally, even just outside of the world of, of, organizations and corporations but more towards a notion of collectiveness and collaboration and getting there together which calls for a degree of humility vulnerability and uncertainty that can be uncomfortable for a lot of people um and i think that if we are 100 years out we'll look back on this transition and we'll say to ourselves yeah, the most effective leaders are ones that have a little bit more humility, certainly have more empathy for the people that they're leading. And there might be a little bit less certainty in there, but I feel like we're caught between those two models. So there's a bunch of stuff that's still taught in leadership programs and in yeah. books and that's regurgitated. That's like, okay, set your vision, know where you're going, you know, right, rally right. the troops, all of that. And then there's a bunch of stuff that's coming out that's saying, hold on, slow down, take your time, talk to your people, make sure you know what, what they want. And I think for a lot of leaders, they're kind of caught in the middle and like, I, I don't know what to do. And by the way, this is just <laughs> slowing everything down. Like I've got a, you know, I've got a meeting to go to. Can I go to that instead? And so that just causes difficulty for, for, for some leaders. Yeah, I, I agree with you. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's funny. I when I started in leadership thirty years ago, I thought I had to have all the answers. You know, and now I realize that really what I need to have is the right questions and and, and be able to sit back and listen, and you know, and get the collective wisdom of the team to help manage and lead where we're headed. You know, if I don't, because I can tell you time after time where I've got stuck in a business where we didn't know where to go, and it was one person in a room that sort of unlocked the next level or unlocked the, the possibility that I, that we never thought of, or I never thought of personally. And um, it just, you know, and so I've, I've learned that the, if, if I'm not listening to the quietest person in the room, I'm making a mistake because that person likely has an idea that's going to help me get to the next level. And so I, I've learned that, but that's 30 years of, you know, in the trenches where I picked that up just naturally. I have like, wow, people are amazing and they have amazing ideas and I don't have all the answers and I don't want to have all the answers, you know? Yeah, and, and I think that what you're, you're, 
hitting on there is for for some not all but for some leaders in in their own natural path and career and progression there's an element of emotional maturity that comes with that that ends up in that position that you've got to it's a sign of a, of an emotionally mature human being that you don't need to have all the answers and and that the wisdom is can be found elsewhere i think that for a lot of our organizations and teams and the requirements also from from some of the younger generations is is almost dictating that that evolution has to happen at a at a faster pace for a lot of leaders. They've got to get there quicker. Like yeah. we've got to we've got to realize that we've got to move away from you know trying to save the day as a hero towards actually um, uh, growing and developing the people underneath us. And and that can be that can be hard for, for people. You know, it can be a, a tough transition. And and a lot of times where I see people have hesitation in making the transition is. They fear that if they open the door to curiosity or to a, a, a slightly longer period of discussion or to hear viewpoints from other people, they, they fear that they'll just lose control of whatever mm. it is that that is being discussed and, and that they'll waste a whole bunch of time trying to get folks realigned. So there's just this sense of like, well, if I just can hold on to the clarity and certainty of where I think I want to go, get everybody aligned around that, we'll move way faster. Uh, and, and, and my response to that is, well, yeah, there is an aspect that you could lose control of that, but there's a skill set there that you can build to ensure that you don't do that. Right, there's a right. way to open up difficult um, decisions to a wider group to try to gain some collaboration and consensus that continues to move the group forward and doesn't make it feel like you're just flinging the doors open to endless discussion and debate without ever making progress. Right, right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it's definitely the two sides of it, right? It's the, yes, you get people involved, but, you know, the other side of it is, are we ever going to move in a certain direction? Because, you know, as you know, a committee can, you can get, you know, disc endless discussions and debate and never move forward. So at some point, the leader has to put the rudder in, you know, in the water and start moving in a certain direction. So that's an important part of it, too. Yeah, so, it is. And, and, you know, that then going back to that level of emotion, emotional maturity, you know, a really great effective leader will, will know how to do both of those and when to do both of those. Yeah. yeah. Um, the problem is that we stunt, we stunt our growth as a leader if we don't look to try to um, change our behavior towards something that's a little bit more collective. And it's funny because, you know, you say something like that to somebody and their first reaction is, well, if we do that, we could end up here. Usually if somebody's worried about taking a step ending up all the way over here they they probably can afford to take a step or two in the direction that we're talking about because their natural you know their natural proclivity is not going to allow it to go to that worst case scenario it's like all we're doing is asking you to just take a pause take a breath get some yeah, you know yeah. get some feedback from, from from folks on your team and then by all means start to move move towards yeah. a direction we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors one ping only please as I thought, John Rennie's new book, All in the Same Boat, is right over there. It's at allinthesameboatbook.com. Your orders are to get there now. And remember, be careful what you shoot at. Most things in here don't react too well to bullets. 
Is your boss a jerk? I understand you're in the hospital, but I'm going to need you to come in today. Do they lack any ability to actually lead people? Oh, it's fine. I'll, I'll just find somebody else that can do it, okay? John is offering a new service just for you. For only $10, he will anonymously mail a copy of his best-selling book, I Have the Watch, to your boss with a personal note. Go to IHaveTheWatch.com and enter the discount code BOSS at checkout. Deep Leadership is brought to you by the Bottom Gun Coffee Company. Bottom Gun is owned and operated by U.S. submarine veterans, and no one knows coffee better than the men and women who serve long hours keeping watch under the sea. Bottom Gun Coffee Company has a variety of coffee blends designed to keep you moving. From Ahab's Revenge, extremely strong coffee, to their morning blend, Bottom Gun purchases only premium, certified, organic coffee beans from all over the world to create the finest tasting coffee you will ever experience. Bottom Gun is offering a discount to the listeners of Deep Leadership. Go to BottomGunCoffee.com and enter the discount code DEEP at checkout. Bottom Gun Coffee, the taste that's qualified. So you talk about in the book this cycle of, of uh, mediocrity, and what, what is that, and why is it a problem? We've sort of been dancing around it a little bit in our in our conversation already, um, and it, it's a it's a cycle that leaders and teams can get stuck in where they're not necessarily delivering bad work, but they're definitely not delivering their best work. They're delivering mm-hmm. just mediocre work, and it starts from just the the notion that everything in our organizations is is urgent. I, I think most leaders have got to the point where their own internal prioritization schema has just almost fell off the ledge and it's like everything is urgent we're giving anybody permission yeah, to interrupt yeah. us in any way at any time and and they get to deem the urgency on it and so we're we, we live in this world where just stuff needs to get done yesterday mm. what that does is it, it then amplifies that already behavioral um reaction to to know the answers or jump in the sea and see of the day if i see that there's a problem it's just way easier for me to just jump in through an act of heroism either i'll do it myself or i'll tell you exactly what to do you go do it and then we'll move forward but then it it, it builds then those two behaviors that we talked about earlier which is um our team begins to develop learned helplessness where they don't even think about how they might overcome a challenge or a problem because you're just going to tell me what to do anyway, or you're just going to come back behind me and, and, and fix it, mm. you know, anyway. And so I'll just start saying, well, Hey John, what do you want me to do? And yeah. then you tell me, then yeah. I go do it. And then I'm like, John, what do you want me to do? And then eventually it's funny because even the, the best teams, if there's this, if we, if the leader starts to move in this dynamic at some point, then the, the leader of the group, starts to look around their team and and they're thinking to themselves, these people used to be really capable. They used to be able to think for themselves. And and now I'm the bottleneck and, and I get frustrated. And the reason is because you've, you know, you've got to look in the mirror. You're at least one half of this equation. And the thing is, if your teams develop the learned helplessness where they're not thinking for themselves, you're starting to become overwhelmed because you're doing more and more work. That adds into that sense of urgency and we just get caught in that in that that cycle and and go round and round and round and round. Yeah. And that's a problem. Right. Yeah. And because you never work on what's important. You're just working on what's urgent and what's, you know, and then people are, you know, they're just responding to whatever action items that are, uh, you know, it's the, it's the email zero and the, you know, you know, getting everything off your action plan, but not necessarily working on what's important or what's what yeah. you really should be working on. And it keeps, it keeps 
our focus in the weeds, both for the leader and the team, it's there's a very strong gravitational pull to runway level items. Like you said, you're checking stuff off your to-do list, but you're not giving yourself the time to raise your head, to evaluate where you've gone, where you've come to, what progress you've made and what you, where you want to go to next. Now, the funny thing is, though, that um, there's a couple of uh, natural things that keep us in that cycle. One, operating that mode of leadership, despite the fact that we often get to the point of burnout or exhaustion. It's actually a very satisfying place to be from an ego perspective because you feel wanted, needed, and useful. Your team depends on you. They rely mm. on you. If you weren't there, they wouldn't yeah. be able to do the things that that you've been able to do. And so whether you acknowledge that or not um, uh, verbally, there's a subconscious ego boost there. Um, and, and also for a great number of people, um, chasing day-to-day crisis is way more interesting than than spending time on the things that you actually add value on as a leader, which is the long-term direction of your team and development of your people, because we have such a, a shorter-term reward and feedback loop. So if I'm firefighting a crisis, we get to the end of the day and we resolve it. It's like, okay, we can see that our work added up to something. And, and so it's very easy to get stuck in there um, and, and and just never get out. So what's the best way for leaders to, as you say, the most effective leaders elevate their focus above the, the day-to-day. So how, you know, how, and, and that's what the book is about, elevating your focus and, you know, getting above the busyness of, you know, and how, how, do, how do leaders do that? How do they make that change where they get out of that cycle? First of all, like everything, it's understanding that there's an issue and there's a problem with it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'll, I'll talk about that cycle of mediocrity to, to some leaders and they'll go, yeah, that's great. I like living my life that way. And actually yeah. my team likes living my life that way. And, and if that's the intentional choice, that's fine. Um, but it's not a scalable model for leadership. You're not going to scale yourself. You're not going to scale the impact your team has. You're not going to scale the growth that your organization faces. Um, and so ultimately the initial step is, is somebody saying, you know what, this is not a liability and I want us to move away from it. Um, when you do that, that you know, that's a mindset shift and that can really help unlock a lot of stuff. The worst thing that you can do is, is go down a journey of trying to change this if you're not really fully committed to it yourself. Um, so make that mindset shift away from that cycle of mediocrity um, towards what I call the cycle of excellence, which is really about turning it, it on its head. Uh, and then the rest becomes a little bit more practical and, and, and grounded. So three major moving parts. Uh, One is to rethink the vision that you have with your team to incorporate more of their uh, input and voices into that. So again, back to that notion of you not needing to to have complete certainty on what we're going, but enlisting your help as co-conspirators in your success by creating a shared vision that genuinely they have a part of. Mm-hmm. Um, that could be a, a fairly straightforward exercise, can take anywhere between four hours and a couple of days. Um, and it's all about asking good questions of your team and, and getting um, some feedback on you know, where they want to go, what their purpose is, why they do what they, they do every day, the impact that your team has on the organization and the, and the wider world. Um, you know, the concept of vision is is often discussed and unfortunately not utilized nearly as much as it as it can do can be. And and when it is utilized, it's usually just at that beginning bit where everybody gets aligned on where we're going and then we just sort of forget about it. Um, your your vision for your team should become a north star for your decision making and it should guide all other, you know, challenges that you have. And once you've fixed that north star, then the rest starts to become a little easier. 
the reason that we start with vision is we're trying to counterbalance a natural drive towards the runway level. So what's the furthest you can go away from the, from, you know, zero feet runway level, what's 50,000 foot. So put that as your counterpoint to the, to the, to the gravitational pull. Second then aspect of that is to begin to build a implementation pulse, which is essentially a, a, a series of horizons of focus between that 50,000 foot level and the runway level that ensures that you and you, your team are talking about the appropriate things at the appropriate times. Too often um, teams, because in a, in a desire to avoid meetings because people hate meetings. And here's the thing, people don't hate meetings, they hate bad meetings. Good meetings are actually very, very productive. But what often happens is in an attempt to avoid too many meetings, a leader will get a team together and the agenda will go from like the most basic ground uh, runway level aspect all the way up to something that's, you know, big and existential. And those are very different horizons of focus. It requires a different perspective and a different mindset to approach it. And so just building an implementation rhythm of annual reviews, quarterly reviews, and monthly and maybe even weekly reviews that that's that's built around how do we get closer to achieving that that vision. Most leaders are are really good at the day-to-day, like we talked about. They're pretty good at the long-term vision. The bit that they miss out is the bit in the middle. And so often a team team will get in a room, set some goals for the year and forget all about it until like quarter three or four. And then they're like, oh, what did we say we were going to do this year? Oh, look, we kind of are sort of doing some of that. And, and, And we need more of an ongoing drumbeat of implementation so that you and your team know where where you're going. So set your vision, build your implementation rhythm. And then the final thing is there's, there's a number of just key leadership disciplines that you need to, to build or, or sharpen in order to stay the course. So the visions, our ultimate destination, our implementation rhythms, the series of, of stop off points along the way. And then, and then our disciplines are really about how do, how do we navigate the ship? Yeah, that's great. I know uh, one thing we did, you know, I, I ran nine different manufacturing plants over my career. And one of the things we did really well in, uh, in, in, in you know, over, over the years, we figured out is, is to have, you know, we did these really good annual planning sessions where we, we walked around like, what do we want to, where do we want to go? And then how, what are we going to do this year? But what we realized is that just like you said, you know, month would go by month and month and month. And by the end of the year, there were certain certain targets that were way off track and we never had those checkpoints. And we started doing quarterly reviews where we actually, we said, we actually got the same team together that, that did that, you know, annual planning session. And we said, where are we at today compared to where we said we wanted to be, you know, during that annual planning session. And those are really powerful meetings. And in some of those meetings, we got rid of some metrics and some measure. And we said, this isn't important. We, we've got too many measurements or we're, we're going in too many directions. What's really, really important right now. And we also learned that, Hey, we're pretty good at this thing. We don't have to focus on that. We don't have to spend our energy and effort on it. That's running smooth, but this is broken over here. We've got to this quarter spend more time on it, but having those, I think you call them those implementation pulses, but those like those checkpoints where you're really saying, are we really going the way we wanted to go? And then how, you know, and, and I, I found that with working with a group doing that is that many would, would, would question me, like, why are we still tracking this? Mm. You know, and, and, you know, challenging me as well. And I love that because it was good pushback. I was like, great, let's get rid of it. We don't have to do that. You know, that's one that we don't have to worry about. So it helped us get, get focused every quarter. I think you're right. I think that the quarterly review is one of the the most crucial times that you can spend as a team. 
looking back the last 90 days, what's worked well, what hasn't worked well, and then looking forward to those to, to the next three months. And and you sort of touched on three questions there. What what should we stop doing? What should we start doing? And what should yeah. we keep, keep doing? And, and what it does is it, it gives teams the ability to assess what's not working and get rid of it. It gives yeah. them the ability to assess new initiatives that they might not have thought about whenever they first you know, did their annual plan, but it gives them the opportunity to assess them in the light and the context of what's happening yeah. uh, and what we're good at and what we're not good at and what our workloads like and what our, you know, what our resources are like. Whereas absent that, what often happens is either a directive comes, you know, on from on top down or a client has a request or, you know, just the leader themselves just wakes up with a great idea one morning and they come <laughs> in and those new initiatives just get thrown into the team. Yeah. And and there's this sense of well, we're we're already running at full capacity, and you're just coming and layering stuff on the, on yeah. us. And there's not that considered approach of is this something that we should be doing that we can do that you know what if we are going to do it and we're stretched, what can we do to 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 make that happen for ourselves? And it's funny because often when I first talk about that. I'm met with a degree of resistance because some leaders will say, well, that doesn't allow us to be um, flexible. It doesn't allow us to to make quick decisions and to pivot quickly. Um, to which I respond, well, actually, it allows you to do that more because yeah. too many leaders believe that their agility comes in their ability to make decisions quickly. Actually, their true agility comes in the ability to implement those quick those decisions quickly. Yeah. And, and so often where it doesn't work out, we're making decisions quickly, but then it gets pushed into the machine and we realize we should have taken a little bit more time considering this. You know, maybe we didn't get all of the voices that we needed. Maybe we didn't consider all of the ramifications of it. And so your quarterly meeting gives you the ability to bring new initiatives and say, okay, let's talk about this, but within the context of everything else that's happening. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I was guilty of that in my early years of just keep piling on. You're like, well, the team, we can keep doing it. We'll do, there's a new initiative. We're going to pile that on. We, this is something we're going to pile it on. And then, you know, you, you, you're, we're weighing down the team with all these different initiatives, which, and then everything's a priority. Everything's important, you know. Right. And, and you don't have that clarity of what's really important. What, how do I get to the North Star? And that's what forces people down into that runway level, as you say, because everything's important. I'm going to be working on everything versus those critical few things that I should be working on to get to the vision that we have, that shared vision. Absolutely. I think you're, you're completely right. You should be using, should be connecting all of those strategic decisions to that North Star. Does it fit with where we want to go? Does it not? If not, easy decision. If it does, okay, then how do we slot that into all of our other priorities that are here? What's, what's most crucial and most important for us mm -hmm. for this quarter? Yeah, I think that's important. I think the leader's job is important too to help clarify that and help and help you know unclog the machine. So it all these things don't just keep getting piled on. Having those we're going to get a get away, we're going to review where we're at, you know, and and let's let's make some decisions as a team what we want to continue, what we want to eliminate. But I think that the leader can't just assume it's going to happen without their involvement, you know. Oh no, def definitely not. Yeah. And and they have to help the team elevate their focus all the way up and you know there's always going to be that period of of setting strategy and then implementing strategy and and as a leader if you're finding yourself in this dynamic your goal is to to stay as once you've defined that vision with your team is to constantly be pulling them towards that and away from the the runway level day 
day to day and help your team elevate their focus a little bit so that they're maybe focused on the strategic and the tactical level um, on a you know regular enough basis. It doesn't have to be there all of the time. But the the worst is whenever the team and the leader and everybody's just focused on the day to day because ain't nobody looking looking after the longer term strategy no, and, no, and vision just, at that point. It's just firefighting and heroic. Yeah. So what do you call it? heroic leadership, right? Yeah. Heroic you're coming, leadership. You're coming in to save the day all the time. You know, we and, just we just say yes and figure out how to deliver it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and then you're just saving the day all the time. And it's just it's just crisis after crisis. And I've worked for companies that are like that. And that's just like they're it's in their DNA. But if you can step away from that, I think there's you can get you can move a lot further if you can step away from that, uh, that kind of mindset and that mentality. Very much so. You, you have a much bigger impact. I, I think that it, it, it I think if the company truly has that reactive day-to-day heroic leadership, there's, there's, there, there's, there'll be a limit, a cap on their ability to grow yeah. because it, because it requires it, individuals. It, the success yeah. is, is, is wholly invested in people's ability to come in and firefight and save the day. Yeah. Uh, whereas if you begin to build slightly more of a process for managing what we're talking about here, then ultimately it's not person your success isn't personified on those heroic leaders it's personified yeah. on the ability of the team to collectively come together and work through these steps that we've been talking about yeah absolutely you know i say in my in my latest book i say that you know part of a, the role of management or leader is to is to create a smooth running business where firefighting is unusual you mm. know you have that capacity to sprint if you need to if there is a crisis but it shouldn't be your normal way of operating you know, yeah, run, for, run. for yeah. sure. I mean, I, I use the analogy of of being in a in a rock band. You know, no rock band is just solo all the time, right? I mean, it would be the most awful music if all you heard was just guitar solo for four and a half oh, minutes. Sure. What you need is a real steady drum beat and some bass guitar and some rhythm guitar, just holding the holding the beat and and setting what's what's normal for us. And yeah, you can you can have a couple of runs off that. And, you know, you've even got your 30 second, one minute solo if you need it, but it's just, it's, it's icing on the cake. It's color rather than, than the whole thing. And, and too often businesses are just solos all the time. Just save the day, save the day, save the day, save the day, save the day. percent. And there's no, there's no drum beat <laughs> un, underneath it. Yeah. Now that's really good. I like that analogy, the rock band analogy. I think uh, I will, I will quote you in the future on this. I you really can, like you can that a lot. Steal it with, steal it with a band. And I'm pretty sure I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I love it though. That's really good. Well, this has been a really good conversation. I know that our listeners are going to get a lot out of it. I know I personally did. So how can people find, out more about uh, your company and the new book? Um, best place to go to is uh, davemckeown.com, M-C-K-E-O-W-N. And that okay. has a link to all of the consulting training and co- coaching work that I do. There's also a link to the book, uh, The Self-Evolved Leader. Uh, if you want to go to Amazon, you just search for Self-Evolved Leader, it's there. Uh, I'm also pretty active on LinkedIn and Twitter. I'm at Dave McKeown on both of those and would love to connect uh, with anybody who um, is interested to learn more. Okay, that sounds great. We'll uh, put links in the show notes for all those resources. And I really think it's been a good discussion. I really think this is a big issue in companies today. There's a lot of firefighting. There's a lot of heroics going on. And there's not enough focus on the big picture and the vision and the and the North Star. And I think this has been a really valuable discussion. And uh, I really encourage people to pick up this book. It's The Self-Evolved Leader. Elevate your focus and develop your people in a world that... Uh, refuses to slow down, which is very true these days. So 
uh, this has been Dave. This has been really good. I really appreciate you coming on the show and sharing all of your insight. Thank you so much for having me, John. It's been a pleasure to be with you. Well, thank you. Well, that's it for today. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. If you like this podcast, please subscribe and share so we can continue to build a world with better bosses. Until next time, this is John Rennie saying take care and lead well. Thank you for listening to Deep Leadership. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for all you do. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. For more information and updates, please visit our website at www.deepleadershippodcast.com or johnsrenny.com. Until next time, take care. Welcome to Ringside with Ray and Prince. My name is Ray Leonard Jr. Oh, is that No, that's just my dad. My name is Prince Daniels Jr. Daniels again with a big hole. On this show, we come to humanize athletes, entertainers, business executives. We're going to see what makes them tick. Tuesdays, 10 a.m. Pacific time on Spotify, Apple, Amazon, and wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you there. Peace and power. Electric acid. Welcome to the Candle Power Hour. Come with us backstage behind the scenes of show business spanning over four decades and bringing you the experiences that can only be told by the people who were there. Our guests are from the A-list, the F-list, and everyone in between. Get set for some of the most insane, hilarious, and inspiring stories you will ever hear. I'm Mercury. And I'm Diego. Your host for the The Candle Candle Power Power Hour. Hour.